So, there's this man, and he's extremely wealthy. And he's nearing the end of his physical life. He knows it. And he's upset about it. So he decides to have his people, he had people, and uh, take everything he owned and convert it into gold bricks. And put it into trunks. Because he's taking it with him. And he dies, and he's lugging these trunks up to the gates, up to the gates of heaven there. St. Peter's at the, at, the, at, the, at the gate. What's going on? What are you bringing here? And he says, well, I wanted to have this with me. And, and, and uh, St. Peter says, well, what's in there? And he opens up the trunk, and he says, you brought pavement? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that. Yeah, today, today's talk is called, I, I Never Saw a Hearse Followed by a U-Haul. We're not taking it with us. Are we enjoying it, though, while we're here? That's my thought. We're not taking it with us. But are you having a good time with whatever your stuff is here? Whatever your stuff is, be it mental, spiritual, physical, are you having, is it bringing you pleasure? Is it bringing you joy? Or are you using it for joy at least? It has no power unto itself. Nothing has any power unto itself. You know, I really like this book. If I don't open it, it's a book. And it's sitting there and it has no power. If I open it and I have thoughts about it, which I do every time I open it, then it has power for me because I have also given it power for me. If this were written in a different language, it's a book because I don't have a clue what it says. And for many of us, it, <laughs> some of those spiritual books in there might as well be written in another language. You know, for some people, of course, the miracles. I don't know what that means. Close that. The Bible. I can't read that. Oh, no, I can't read that. Myrtle Fillmore. Charles Fillmore. He's ridiculous. I can't read that. So all those things. They sit on a shelf collecting dust, and the power they have is my criticism of them. It's the only power they have, but the words inside them have absolutely no power because I haven't used them. I haven't looked at them. And, and, and so to contemplate that and say, what is valuable in my life? What am I using uh, to claim joy with, to claim my because as I said earlier, uh, joy-filled people don't hurt other people. Joy-filled people don't hurt themselves. Joy-filled people and miserable people, well, they're miserable. Funny how that works. Instant manifestation. Yeah, I, I, in, in life, I've had a lot of disappointments. Anybody? Yeah. Anybody experience disappointment in your own? And you, you think, oh, this person was supposed to show up for me, and they didn't, and this was supposed to happen, and it didn't, and I didn't even know this was supposed to happen, but I wish it would have, and why didn't it? And, and, and I sit at home, and, and I go in either direction. I can either get very upset, get very angry, or I can uh, ask spirit. I can go within and ask the light within me, the love within me. What's going on here? How do I need to think about this or I'm gonna be joyless. I'm gonna have less joy. Whenever I forget to pray about anything, any kind of a disturbance, 
But remember, I, I, I pray expecting a solution for joy. I pray expecting a solution that is, that is peaceful and uh, will lead to more fun and lead to peace. Uh, that's how, why, why else pray? Why else would you pray? You know, if you're just praying to get, make your misery more manageable, uh, it's not going to work. And if you're just praying for a very specific outcome, you may not get more joy. It's funny, you, you could have great sickness, and if you're just praying to get well, that doesn't mean you will be joy-filled. It means you won't be sick. And some are willing to settle for that, but I want to be joy-filled no matter what condition my body is. I want to be joy-filled no matter how much money I think I have or don't have. I want to be joy-filled no matter what I think you might be doing to me or the street is doing to me or the weather is doing to me. I want to be joy-filled. And it took a lot of work for that. I, I didn't want to hoard up my misery, though so that I could fill up a U-Haul later on and drive it down the street. You know, that I could fill up that U-Haul full of miserable memories to move from my old house to my new house and I can't figure out why am I so unhappy in my new house? Well, because I just unloaded all my mental crap into it. Ah, it's our first night in our new house. Let's talk about how everyone hurt us in our old house. Let's talk about everything that was wrong in our old house. Let's, let's talk about, oh, you know, second grade. Remember what she did to me? <laughs> remember when I had appendicitis? Remember when, whenever, remember that cold? Remember COVID? All in the new house, filling up the walls, every crevice in my new house with misery. And we don't have to do that. It is a choice. And we didn't always know we had a choice. I thought, uh, the, these are the thoughts I'm stuck with. These are the resentments I'm stuck with. I'm not stuck with them. I am not stuck with them. Why? Because I can pray. I can pray expecting a solution to any limiting thought. And we, we, we've witnessed, all of us have witnessed how hard sometimes it is to uh, release a limiting thought. How many of us have held on to what our parents did to us? Those of us who had parents who, who, were, who were flawed. Anybody here parents not good with children? <laughs> Mine weren't. My parents, I won't call them hateful people, but they were not good with children. And so, when I grew up, as it were, I had to parent myself. I didn't want to use their example on how to parent myself. I had to use these spiritual tools. These spiritual tools were much better parents than my flawed parents were. Because they, the, these, these spiritual tools, these books, these wonderful teachings and teachers, they gave me new thoughts. They gave me alternative thoughts to misery. They gave me love. Now, did they love me? I guess so. In the purest form, because there was no conditions to them. They didn't tell me they wouldn't like me if I didn't apply their, their teachings. They didn't tell me they wouldn't love me if I didn't finish the book. They didn't tell me they, so, I had left it. They didn't tell me I'd get mad, they'd get mad at me if I defiled their book with a yellow marker. 
I got yelled at in a Starbucks once by somebody. A woman came up to me, how can you defile that book with that pen? I said, but I use it so I can remember this passage. I just, that is a precious thing, and you have, you have no right to, I, I paid for it. Go away. <laughs> Go away. I want to love you, not be distracted. Because that's what she was in that moment, is a distraction for the love I was highlighting. Nutty. Nutty. She was not hateful. She was not evil. But she was a momentary distraction until I said, no, you're not allowed to distract me. I didn't say that to her face, but that, that's, I realized that's what I indicated when I said, go away. And so I, I, I'm busy. I don't have time for distractions uh, or confusion of worshiping a bunch of paper. And I could always buy a new copy. These ought not be put on a sacred shelf in a library where they will never be used for practical purposes, like changing my thinking. Books are wonderful opportunities to have our thoughts shifted, hopefully for higher ways, you know, to spark our imagination. I, when I was a kid, I read a lot when I was a little boy. I read a whole lot. And my best friend and I, we would go to the library, and we would each take out, however, I forget how many of the books you were allowed to take out at the time. And we would each take out that many, and we'd go home and read them as fast as we could. Then we'd take them back and trade at the library, because I think you were allowed to trade out for two weeks, and, and do the same thing. And then we'd talk about the books. They were a lot of history books I remember as, as a kid. And, and we would do that. And... But it would spark our imagination. Well, how do I, how would I start up a country? You know, if I'm reading an American history book, how, what, what would I do if I were the boss of America? Especially back then. I don't want to contemplate now. Uh, but, but back then, you know, it's like, oh, well, they did this, they did this, and they did this. Oh, they saw it this way, and they saw it this way. And how do I see it, and do I have an opinion on it? And, and and so I, I and then as I got older, my comic book, I had a wonderful comic book collection and I enjoyed all those because they sparked my imagination. And they were kids in the, the comic book, so I had a closer identification. And, and, and to this day, one of my favorite all-time books, and do not scorn me for this, is Valley of the Dolls. Trapu and Suzanne's Valley of the Dolls. You don't know how that influenced all of you because I'm here today, that book. That book got made in New York. That book inspired me to dream that uh, dreams that I could do something that was so far beyond what anybody in Washington, Pennsylvania was doing. And, and so to, to look at that, uh, it's funny, today is the anniversary of, 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 of my best friend in the whole world of his death. He died last, last year, and many of you have heard about him. His name's Richard. And all of you were affected by Richard because Richard was a being that transformed my thinking about myself, about life, about the bigness of life, and laughter. He loved to laugh, and he taught me about laughing. And we could look at things and laugh at stuff that other people took very seriously. 
and we could just laugh at, 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 at the, the most ridiculous things because it was funny. It, it wasn't so serious. Life wasn't, didn't need to be taken seriously. And I still got my stuff. Uh, many of you have heard. But like last week I told you with the bridges though. Driving over bridges, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. What happened? I was afraid for years. Suddenly I'm not afraid to drive over bridges. And, and so let, let's see Vermin walk across here, see how I feel about it. Don't test me. Let's not push the button today. But Richard and I would laugh at so much. And Richard taught me so much that 20 years later I could be with David. The 20 years later I could be a minister of a church, even though that was far, far from his vision of himself. Although he, he did study a lot of religious background, a lot of theater background, things like that. And he just took a lot of joy in life. And, uh, and for a long time I did too, until I forgot. Somewhere in my 30s, I forgot, or my 20s especially, I forgot to take joy out of life. And it took several years to realize, and I heard somebody say, well, God's will for us is to be happy, joyous, and free, Sean. And I said, really? God's will for me is to be happy, joyous, and free? And God's will for the person I like the least on earth is to be happy, joyous, and free? Yes, Sean. But I'm getting on board with that. Because I, I wanted that. Don't you want that? Don't you want to always be happy, joyous, and free, even while you are in the midst of something deeply traumatizing, even in the midst of a diagnosis, in the midst of finding out someone you love has made their transition, even in the midst of a storm, to know But God's will for us is to be happy, joyous, and free. It didn't say gleeful, and it didn't say abandoning. It said happy, joyous, and free. So that tells me that here in my gut, I am innately joy-filled. That is natural to be happy, joyous and free. The happy is a choice, but the joy part, that is natural within us. And so the only way to not be joy-filled is if you choose not to notice. If you choose to allow a, a condition to tell you you should not be joy-filled. Like I say, you may not be doing a tap dance around it, but to know there is good works in here happening, even though I'm not aware of them. That's where the innate joy comes from, to know there is good here, whether I see it or not. There is good here, whether I feel it or not. There is good here, so I don't, I don't have to stay unhappy. And just because our neighbors forget their good manners doesn't mean I should hate them or even throw them away just because things happened in the past does not mean that I should throw myself away just because some of my teachers were seemingly flawed doesn't mean I should dismiss them no, Teresa and I went to a seminary, I believe John went to a similar se se seminary, and the, the main, uh, what do you call it, <sighs> credo, the main thing that they, they said was always, because it was interfaith, always in addition to, never instead of. So, 
my life today is in addition to my past. It's not instead of my past. It's in addition to everything that I was taught then, whether they wanted to teach it to me or not. I was taught it because I picked it up and I learned it and I went with it. Some positive, some not so positive, but always in addition to. So my life today is better because of all the stuff that added up to get me here. And some days, I, especially if something happens recently, I will say, gee, I wish that hadn't happened. But I'm wrong when I say that. I don't wish it hadn't happened. I just, ouch. Because it happened, I'm going to know God better. Because I choose to know God better. And so to look at all that, to look at everything that makes up our lives and say, okay, I'm not putting it into storage. I'm putting it here where I can use it. It's not going in the bin in the back. It's going to be right here where it can be used for fun, for joy, and for wisdom. So that I don't have to disregard or dismiss anything. If I'm hoarding anything that distracts me from my joy, perhaps I need to release that so that someone else can acquire it. But I've got a pile of clothes I'm never going to wear again, but, but I'm afraid to give them up because then I won't have as many clothes. I need to get rid of those clothes. And I've done that. I've done that repeatedly for several years now. Twice a year I try to go through my clothes and look at them and say, what fits, what doesn't fit, what am I likely to wear again? And I don't do the thing, you know, if you haven't worn it in two years, throw it away. No, I might still want to wear it someday. So I, I, I don't go with that, but I try it all on and I, and I see it because I really enjoy clothing. I really enjoy that stuff. It's fun, it's sparkly, it's what well, a lot of mine is. And, uh, and, and, and so to, to look at it, because I don't want stuff in my house to distract me from the happy, joyous, and free. I don't want stuff in my car to distract me from happy, joyous, and free. My office is a cluttered mess right now. Eh, I'm still studying God in there more than I'm worrying about clutter. And, and, and to look at all this stuff, and then I have to look at you guys and say, okay, am I using them to take me to a higher joy place, or am I using them to be a distraction from my God self? Because over the years, you know, you, you stay a minister long enough, you're going to get confused some days. And, uh, and allow people to distract you. It's not that they're a distraction. You will allow somebody criticizes, you know, and they come up. Early on, somebody came up and said, Sean, that was a nice talk today, and I even like what you're wearing. That was on her last Sunday here. And uh, <laughs> it was. She never came back. And I said, she said, well, you know, I tell the truth. I said, no, I know you're opinionated. <laughs> And that's where we went from there. And it didn't go uphill from there, that conversation. She just didn't like me. For whatever reason, I, in her mind, I wasn't resonating with her happy, joyous, and free. And I had to be okay with that because otherwise, what are you going to do? David has a friend who's a therapist. And somebody came in one day and said, what, what's, wrong, what's up with your hair? Now, as a therapist, she had to sit and say, hmm, 
what is it about my hair that's sparking these thoughts? And the hour was over and the patient left and she went, oh my God, what's wrong with my hair? You know, she could have her own moment in the mirror, but not in front of the person because that would be giving them a power they didn't, they weren't entitled to. And it would be a distraction. And she couldn't use the people as a distraction for her purpose. And over the years as a minister, I've had to remember, okay, your purpose is to pray with people. Your purpose is to know God in each being. Your purpose is to say yes as often as possible if it is within wisdom. And it's to say no if it is not within wisdom. My purpose is to know the pulpit is mine. The kitchen belongs to you guys. The walls here belong to you guys. Pulpit's mine. And, and, so, and if you guys don't like what I'm doing on the pulpit, you need a new minister. But to go look at the, it that way, but to know when I'm here, it's all mine. Piano's Kenneth's. Uh, and, and, and to go with it, but all the chairs, they belong to everybody. The floor belongs to all of us. The walls belong to all of us. And the message belongs to all of us. And here's the funny part. There's 20 some different messages happening today. There's not one message that I'm giving. I'm giving 20 some different messages because everybody here is interpreting what I say to add to their treasure. And so to look at that and say, oh, I'm adding to my spiritual treasure today through what Sean is saying to see where I, oh, I identify with that. Oh, that makes sense. That makes no sense at all. He might as well be speaking in a foreign language. But to look at all that. But so let me, let me read this, please. It comes from Matthew chapter 6. And it says, let your purpose, excuse me, let your purpose guide you in all things. And let it be the true purpose of the heart. For the purposes of the world are like smoke screens that deceive you, promising rewards and happiness, but delivering not. For every purpose of the world brings forth yet another purpose to seek, and so you shall spend your life seeking and finding not. Empty, you shall die. But the purpose of the heart fills up your treasure chest quickly with joy, peace, and hope. And you shall follow the twinkle within your own eye. And since it is with you always, you shall always be satisfied beyond measure. Do you hear that? Or things like that are promises to me. For it is the light within the heart that shines to show you your joy. And since it shines from within, you shall see your joy wherever you look. But if you do not trust your heart and you try to find your own way, or your own way to happiness, you shall be lost. For who can find their, their way without the light? Who can be happy, stumbling, lost and aimless in the dark? And we go over here to Luke. It says, the process that you call thinking, of which you are mostly unaware, goes on within your mind regarding everything in your world. You make unevaluated judgments about the work you do, the relationships you have, the pastimes you choose and the person you think of as yourself. These unevaluated judgments define everything and everyone within your world, and they are allowed within your mind, without your awareness, your questioning, or your evaluation. So this is what I ask you to do, and that's Spirit saying that. This is what I ask you to do. I ask you to slow down your pace a bit. You may choose how you will slow it down. 
Pick a method that seems most comfortable to you now, but find a way to reduce the distractions in your life. So you can take the time to become aware of the thoughts that seem automatic in your mind. What are these thoughts? What are they saying to you? Why are you listening to them? Are they thoughts of love? Do not worry what you will do with these thoughts as you evaluate them. I will be present with you. I will be present in your mind as you undertake this work of looking and questioning. For now, it is simply useful to become aware of the thoughts you think and are focused on when you think you are focused on the world. You may ask why you should do this work, especially when there is resistance telling you that you have better things to do with your time. I tell you that until you have evaluated the thoughts within your mind, you are unaware of why you do the things you do. Without the awareness that comes from this evaluation, can you be sure that you are storing up the treasures you want stored up? If your time is spent based on the judgments made by thoughts that are not truly valuable, valuable to you, whose treasure are you storing up and is it truly yours? But if you look at your thoughts, evaluate them, determine that they are valuable to you, and then make your life by following these thoughts. Well, then you can be sure you are storing up treasures that have meaning. So, today, this week, look at uh, your thoughts you think are treasures. Look at your closet and see, is it filled with treasures? Treasures for joy or treasures for misery, both in your thoughts and in your closets. Where are your treasures? And decide, you know, I can let this thought go. And I can let this thought go. And I can let this shirt go. And I can let this go. And I can let this, because I am inviting in true thoughts. I am inviting in clothes that make me feel good about myself or at least not that make me but that I do feel good about myself in I am inviting in a diet that I feel good about myself rather than critical about myself I am inviting joy and it's not into my life I'm inviting it from here where it sits into my conscious mind who here wants to know all the time that joy is innate within them your choice. Thank you.